socialism is when the government does stuff. And it's more socialism, the more stuff it does. And if it does a real lot of stuff, it's communism. <laughs> He's absolutely right. <laughs> I love it because he's he's saying that to like condemn us, um, and I every libertarian I know would be like, "Yeah, bro, nailed it." <laughs> uh, God bless Clint Russell, Liberty Lockdown. We're back in the building. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. By the way, we're doing like fifteen to twenty thousand listeners every episode. Really, really cool. Uh, really appreciate you guys. Keep sharing the show. Keep liking it. Keep uh, hitting the subscription button. Doing all the things. Leaving comments. Boosting the algo. Clipping. Posting it on TikTok. Posting it everywhere. Do whatever you can to get the message out. Uh, this is a one-man show. Basically, no marketing budget or budget to speak of, and this grows organically because of y'all. So, thank you as always. Um, all right, so there's a ton to get into. We have the the meeting at Davos is happening once again, their annual meeting for the World Economic Forum, and there is a lot of interesting insights that we can glean from that. So I'm going to break that down. I've also been in a battle with Owen Benjamin, one of my favorite comics. Uh, <laughs> he's very upset with me for wanting to abolish the FBI. Uh, he and I actually have talked privately now, and he is going to be doing the show next week one-on-one -on -one with me. So stay tuned for that. That'll be very interesting. And shout out to, to Top Lobster for being the peacemaker on that one. Uh, I'm really not upset. I, I love the guy. I think he's absolutely hilarious, but I think he's totally, totally wrong on this particular issue. And he thinks the same of me. So let's have a conversation and see where we end up. And uh, on top of that, we've got a lot of news about essentially the DEI hiring practices and, and what they're doing to the airlines. Uh, there's some really jaw-dropping information that has come to light via the New York Post uh, just a couple days ago. So lots to cover. Let's get right into it. First up, we've got Tucker Carlson essentially reframing the very argument that Vivek Ramaswamy was making when he was advising that one woman in Iowa. I said Idaho yesterday, apologies, uh, in Iowa to, uh, to vote for him. And I think he makes a really compelling case, so I want to talk about it a little bit. Now, if Nikki Haley wins or even does very well in New Hampshire, it'll be a big story, of course, and we'll hear a lot about it. But then what happens? It's a long primary process. New Hampshire is just one small, heavily wooded state out of 50. Will Republicans in other states back Nikki Haley, too? Will she win a string of these? Well, they're not going to vote for her voluntarily. Haley can only become the Republican nominee if Republican primary voters have no one else to vote for. So the plan works like this. Ron DeSantis drops out after losing a few contests in a row. He simply runs out of money and has to head back to Florida. That could happen. And at that point, liberal donors swing as a block behind Nikki Haley, giving her bottomless resources. That's already happening right now. And then critically, Donald Trump goes to jail. And that could happen too, to be honest. And at that point, bam, Nikki Haley wins the Republican nomination by default. Now, it's not a foolproof plan. A lot could go wrong. But at this point, it's the only plan. It's all that Democrats have. Joe Biden is going to have a very hard time getting reelected, much less serving another term. It's impossible to imagine that. Yet the party cannot replace him because that would leave Kamala Harris, who is even more unpopular than he is. Because Harris is a member of the new master race, she cannot be booted off a presidential ticket. She must be shown maximum respect at all times, no matter what she says or does. 
And so that means the Democratic Party is stuck with two fatally unpopular candidates. It's their doing, of course, but it's a massive problem. They can't get out of it. So their only option at this point is to run a Republican who has the same views as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And that is exactly what they're doing right now, no matter what they tell you. And that candidate's name is Nikki Haley. It's a compelling case, is it not? I think that DeSantis is on his way out and the hit pieces are already coming for Haley. Uh, there's reporting today that she had an affair with a... I think it was a lobbyist as well as someone that was in her staff uh, back, I guess, before she was married. I'm not sure, but I think when she was dating her husband, which, by the way, she talked to her husband. She just didn't. She said she didn't think that he uh, he looked like a Bob or whatever his name was. And so she just changed his name to Michael. She just started calling him Michael. And now everyone calls him Michael. And now it comes out that she's actually been cheating on him, too. So, woo. <laughs> Talk about talk about the I don't know the bottom floor of hell to be married to that warmonger and to have her change your own name and then to cheat on you on top of it. Holy crap! That poor poor cuck. Uh, brutal brutal life. Uh, but you know we all have personal responsibility. And you chose to literally sleep with the devil. So kind of on you, bro. Uh, but yeah, so I think that the hit pieces are coming out. I think that the Trump campaign or even the DeSantis campaign may be trying to sandbag her because I think they, they see exactly what Tucker laid out there. And I know a lot of people probably in my audience don't love Tucker Carlson and that's fine. I've got a lot of respect for the guy. And I think that his analysis there is spot on. I think that they realize based off of polling that Trump is going to win the GOP primary in a landslide unless he is taken off the ballots and thrown in jail. And if that happens, as of today, there are only three candidates standing. DeSantis is very much on the ropes. He blew 100 million plus dollars in Iowa alone. So with the result that came in there, I can't imagine that his funders are going to continue to throw money at that, seeing as he looks as if it's a dead end. Haley has been surging thanks to Democrats that have been coming out in droves to vote for her in primaries. Uh, there's only been one so far, but the expectation is that that will pick up pace given that she did decently well. I think she pulled in 18% of the vote in Iowa. And I think they're going to attempt that in New Hampshire and just try and try and push DeSantis out and, and accumulate or aggregate all of the anti-Trump votes along with Democrats that are willing to vote in the primary against Trump. Now, I don't have to explain to my audience, but I will anyways. I'm still not a Trump supporter, uh, but I think that it's important that we analyze this honestly and openly and see see the, the, the playing field for what it is. This is what they're working on doing. And if there's one thing we ought to be able to unify behind, I mean, this is the primary reason I wanted Vivek to stay in the race is because I didn't want this to be the potential outcome. And this is what this is what Vivek was laying out the case for him to be, is that it, DeSantis will, will fall, Trump gets thrown in jail and removed from the ballot, then it's Nikki Haley versus Vivek, Vivek picks up the MAGA vote, Vivek sails into the White House, or at least into the general, and crisis is averted. The tie that binds amongst MAGA and libertarians and ANCAPs and everything else is that Nikki Haley is the worst human being alive. 
So at all costs, she cannot be the president of the United States. It, it would be absolutely catastrophic. So now that Vivek has, has withdrawn and DeSantis looks like he's probably has half a foot out the door by now. I think after New Hampshire, he drops. I honestly do. And boom, South Carolina comes around. That, that should be her strongest state, I would imagine, since I, I think she's from there. And if they can, you know, have just Trump versus Haley head to head, galvanizing all of the Democrat voters uh, that want to cross party lines and, you know, pull the shenanigans uh, paired with all of the never Trumpers in the GOP, that's, that's a lot of votes. I still think that Trump is the favorite, but if he goes to jail, all bets are off. So I think it's just important that we understand, like, this is what's happening. I'm, I'm 99% sure this is exactly how it's going to play out. Uh, I am not at all sure how it's going to play out in the court system, whether or not any of these junk charges will actually stick to Trump, but TBD, we shall see. Just to give you a quick idea of why she's so transparently reprehensible, here's Nikki Haley herself. I'm not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. What I'm saying is you have millions of foreign bots. We need our social media companies to verify everybody. Every person on social media should be verified by their name. Every person on social media needs to be verified. They need to verify every single person on their outlet. When you do. So let's back it I'm up. not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. What I'm saying is you have millions of foreign bots. So yeah, she's a liar, a pathological liar that absolutely intends to make online an anonymity criminalized. And she's now trying to walk it back, even though she was doing what her donors told her to do because she doesn't have a single principled thought in her mind that trial balloon that she floated thinking, oh, this will be, you know, a lot of people are sick of the bots. So yeah, a lot, a lot of people are, are sick of having, you know, trolls on the internet say mean things to them. Jordan Peterson has, you know, railed against it. So this must be popular amongst Republicans. Actually, Nikki, it's not. Uh, there are still people that believe in privacy and anonymity. And we would like to be able, you know, I am in the fortunate position that I get to tell the fucking truth no matter what, and it doesn't really matter. But the vast majority of people that got corporate gigs are like, I want to speak out, but I don't want to risk everything. I don't want to lose everything in, in the process. I'm sure tons of you that are listening right now are in that position with uh, a dozen different burner accounts just saying the most racist and offensive things to Nikki Haley as, as I am speaking currently. Uh, and yeah, she's just a fraud, man. She's a fraud. She's so, so dangerous. I mean, this lady really did make a crazy amount of money. She came out of the United Nations penniless based off of reporting and has now now lives in a 5,000 square foot, $5 million home and uh, sits on the board of Boeing and just crushing it. Just crushing it by crushing the bones of innocence. A real demonic figure. So I really want to see like... I, I, don't, I honestly didn't care tre tremendously uh, between Trump and Vivek, but when it comes down to Nikki Haley, I care a lot. Like that woman cannot be the president. This is, this is essentially Hillary Clinton, but with the R next to her name, which means that the GOP will not push back against her nearly as much. It's like a, I mean, it's like a unified party behind the worst politician 
imaginable. Uh, it's it's catastrophic. Uh, you add into that the fact that we're already funding multiple proxy wars. We already have tremendous amount of uh, you know strife throughout the Middle East. I don't know if people have been paying attention, but there has been Pakistan has been bombing Iran. Uh, there's been Iran's been bombing Iraq. Obviously, Israel Gaza or Israel Palestine. Then you got Ukraine Russia still going on. Then you have the potential for Taiwan and and China. There's a lot that can go wrong here, folks. You do not want Nikki Haley with her finger on the nuclear button in this moment. You don't ever want her in the, in that position, but in this moment, it is cataclysmic. I mean, you can't. It can't happen. It, it just flatly cannot happen. So yeah, we gotta gotta stay tuned and and. Uh, Pay attention to this one. It's going to be important. Just a quick clip from Nancy Pelosi on CNN a few days ago, confirming exactly why I am so nervous about what they have planned. This is a neck and neck race, and no one feels very comfortable on the Democratic side of things that Donald Trump isn't going to be the next president. Well, I don't think that nobody feels. I think many of us know that it is impossible uh, for him to be the president again. Oh, it's impossible. Well, given that he is leading in the polls and you could say that it's impossible, mm, that strikes an odd chord, does it not? All right, let's get into Jamie Dimon talking at the World Economic Forum. This was a very interesting clip. I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, and when stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel. Like, it's just great. You know? But remember, we've had so much fiscal and monetary stimulation, so I'm a little more on the cautious side that we are facing a lot of things in, 20, in 24 or 25. And you, you mentioned Ukraine, the terrorist activity in Israel, the Red Sea, quantitative tightening, which I still question if we understand exactly how that works. I don't think we do. How QE actually worked, what the effect of negative, you know, zero rates was for all this time, uh, and obviously the politics. And, you know, and then the Ukrainian war is affecting oil, gas, food, migration. So you have all these very powerful forces that are going to be affecting us in 24 and 25. So if I was the government, I would be preparing for what I'm going to do about that, assuming things aren't good. And I just also want to point out, I, I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA, you know, and you, if you travel this country, you know, and the country's unbelievable. We took our bus trip this year and Leslie Picker was on Spokane and Boise and Bozeman. People are growing. They're hungry to grow. They're innovating. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So. We've got this great hand, but when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. And if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, Trade, China ta virus. Tax reform worked. Mm -hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't, th I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. He, yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. And it's, I, I agree. It's done quite and, you know, the it. Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really? Like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? Jimmy. Well, I, thought that was, <clears throat> I thought that was interesting. As you guys know, 
I'm a very forgiving figure. <laughs> I, I can forgive a lot of indiscretion. Uh, Jamie Dimon, head of uh, Chase, no. I'm not going to forgive you, buddy. Uh, you are at the the apex of the crony capitalist beast, and you have profited handsomely off of the tax coffers of the American people. So while the sentiment is certainly well-received that you would like to stop describing half of this country as if they are, I don't know, traitors or insurrectionists or whatever, or racists or homophobes or sexists, or the list goes on and on. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that, uh, yeah, that's, that is how the vast majority of Democrats view half of this country, if not more. Let's be honest, it's definitely a lot more. And that, that includes the libertarian community. Uh, you guys all look at us as kind of backwards hillbillies that uh, are clinging to our God and guns, God forbid. Uh, I don't have any respect for these folks. I really don't. And I do think that it's important that we turn down the temperature. So I'm, in, I'm appreciative of the fact that he's willing to acknowledge yeah, some of this rhetoric is actually really unhealthy, uh, but you can't, it's not going to be enough for Jamie Dimon to do it. What you really need is Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and AOC and the list goes on and on to actually start to listen to what the vast majority of Republicans, not Republican, any non-Democrat adherent, what they actually think about the trajectory of things, how things are going. If you were to do that, we wouldn't be so at each other's throats all the time. And I wish that were the case. I really do. Uh, if you were to actually stop indoctrinating our children into sexual progressive derangement, I think that that would also remove some of the pressure. If you were to stop taxing us to oblivion and then funneling money into firms such as JP Morgan Chase, that would definitely help a little bit. If you were to stop printing so much goddamn money and inflating the currency and making it impossible for the average person to live, that would definitely reduce some of the pressure. You're not talking about doing anything to actually alleviate what these people are concerned with. You're just talking about giving lip service to it, being slightly more kind as to their demands. If we were to actually exit NATO and stop with these endless wars and provocations, that would certainly help alleviate some of the pressure. If you were to stop allowing for five to 10 million illegal immig immigrants to come across the border annually, I think that would also alleviate some pressure. We're going to alleviate some pressure. I, look, I'm all for it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to require some action. You don't get to browbeat and talk shit to people for years and years and years. I mean, keep in mind, Donald Trump came into the White House in 2016. That's eight years ago. I mean, and it, it didn't begin in 2016. The reason he got in there is because you guys were just being so derogatory towards just the broader Republican non-Democrat voter base for years and years prior to that. That's the whole reason that Trump exists as a phenomenon. He doesn't, he's, he's a consequence of the disease. The disease is the rhetoric that you've been using towards all of these people for so, so long, for decades. And it's just, it's fascinating to me that like that clip went super viral because it seemed as if, uh, you know, people were like, yeah, thanks. And I'm like, I'm like, we're, we're 20 years into this. Y'all are just picking up on it. Like, you're just realizing that there might be some credence to the complaints of half of the country? 
You think? My goodness. It is really, really amazing how, like, just a very, like, once again, detached, kind of technocratic view of the world, uh, which is part of the reason that we're in the position that we're in in the first place. So, yeah, I hope that we, uh, I hope we can <laughs> get along, but y'all are going to have to actually realize that it's your policy that is destroying people. And let me add, Donald Trump didn't do great with the economy. He did not. Uh, people that want to say that, uh, Jamie Dimon feels that way undoubtedly, but it was because he was browbeating the Federal Reserve into reducing interest rates, which certainly helps people like J Jamie Dimon, Dimon out uh, and also passing $4 trillion plus stimulus packages and stuff like that, which uh, Jamie Dimon profitably, profited handsomely from once again. So yeah, I know why you didn't hate the guy. Uh, but yeah, the exiting NATO, the border stuff, like that is actually the complaints of the people and to stop talking down to them, which you still kind of are, as you guys are like on a panel saying, hey, maybe we should treat these people a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, you should have. Uh, you should have decades ago. Let's get into the World Economic Forum and all of the insanity that transpired over the past week. First up, we got the CEO of the Heritage Foundation saying some actual truth at Davos. This is a trend that I'm liking. It's laughable that you would or anyone would describe Davos as protecting liberal democracy. It's equally, standing up for it. It's 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 equally laughable to use the word dictatorship at Davos, and and aim that at President Trump. In fact, I think that's absurd. But I'm a step aside from that constructive criticism and instead answer your question. Yep. And and I'm going to be substantive here. President Trump, if he's the next president, for that matter, I think whoever the next conservative president is going to take on the power of the elites which I mentioned earlier. But there, the, the thing that I want to drive home here, the very reason that I'm here at Davos, is to explain to many people in this room and who are watching, with all due respect, nothing personal, but that you're part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. Take immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. Elites also tell us that public safety isn't a problem in big American cities. Just travel to New York or Washington or Dallas, Texas. The average person will tell you that the lack of public safety damages not just the American way of life, but their life. President Trump will take that on. Thirdly, I guess the favorite at the World Economic Forum, is climate change. Elites tell us that we, we have this existential crisis with so-called climate change, so much so that climate alarmism is probably the greatest cause for mental health crisis in the world. The solutions, the average person know, ba based on climate change are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives, especially in Europe during the time that you need heating than do the problem and the problems themselves. The new president, especially if it's President Trump, will, as you like to say, trust the science. He will understand the basic biological reality of manhood and womanhood. And do you know why? Not because of retribution, not because he's a dictator, but because he has the power of the American people behind him. And it's connected to Senator Portman's excellent point that in addition to needing a vigorous executive, we look forward to having the popular will inform both the House and Senate in 2025 to pass laws on all of those issues and many others. Ultimately, Robin, I think President Trump, if in fact he wins a second term, 
is going to be inspired by the wise words of Javier Millet, who said that he was in power not to guide sheep, but to awaken lions. That's what the average American and the average free person on planet Earth wants out of leadership. Let's laugh. Whoa. Look, this trend is stunning. Uh, I can't even believe <laughs> this is happening. So that was Kevin Roberts, uh, CEO of Heritage, and very much following in the footsteps of Javier Malay. And now keep in mind, this is important to note, the, the reason or like the, uh, the focus of this year's Davos meeting for the World Economic Forum is to rebuild trust. And we'll, we'll get into some clips where they talk about that in a little bit. But they are attempting to rebuild trust. And I, I personally believe that's why they're having these dissidents that sound like you and I, or at least more like us, on stage more readily this year, is that they want it to be more well-rounded so that we can trust them again. I would encourage you not to fall for it. Do not trust these people again, if you ever did. Definitely don't trust them. But I think that the, what's amazing to me is just this, like this spiritual shift. I don't know if it's spiritual, but it's, it's certainly energetic. There is an energy, there is a courage that seems to be contagious that is spreading. That people are much more willing to say things that they would not have said just a few years ago. And I feel, I feel that in my day to day, I would imagine I'll, I'll leave it to you guys. Let me know in the comments below if you if you feel that way. Do you feel as if the tide is, is turning, as if the energy has shifted and you you feel more, I don't know, bolstered in speaking out? I know I know in corporate America and stuff like that, it's still a total chill. But I'm just curious, like even in your personal life, talking to people out on the street or friends or family, like do you feel as if the, the energy has shifted? Is there an anti-woke vibe that's that's happening because i i feel that but i'm also in my own little bubble here so i want to make sure that i'm not delusional but when you see these types of speeches and and how they're so to the point and direct and antagonistic towards the audience that they're speaking in front of they're not they're not there in my humble opinion to talk to the audience they are there to signal to all of the dissidents all across the world obviously the americans if you're speaking in english that like, I'm one of you guys. I'm with you. I'm part of the rebellion. That's that's the vibe I'm getting. And the fact that that is now popular enough that regardless of the social capital that it takes to spread and say that message, that they're willing to do so means that, that there's a, enough of a market behind that to make it viable. Like these people... Most of them, especially if you're invited to Davos, you're probably not going to say something like that 10 years ago because you never get invited back. All of your social capital is expended. You get basically blacklisted or blackballed from any of the higher up globalist elite, you know, cocktail parties and things like that. But now it's getting a little bit popular, ain't it? And this is going back to the, the Malay speech. I like it. I like it a lot. I like that people are starting to get courageous again. People are people are sounding as if they've had just about enough. And people are starting to sense that there's there's a, a ton, a metric ton of us out there that are like, yes, say it. Say it with your chest, boy. That's how I feel about it. Say it with your chest. And people are starting to say it with their chest. Let's fucking go.
I think there's a very specific challenge for the legacy brands like the New York Times and like the Wall Street Journal. I mean, interestingly, when there's a big, big news event, a big world event, people still come to the legacy brands. We still have a lot of trust. But I think you only have to go back. I think I think we have to maintain that trust and we have to work at maintaining it in a way that we didn't have to do not so long ago. So if you go back really not not that long ago, as I say, we kind of we owned the news. We were the gatekeepers and we very much owned the facts as well. If it said it in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, then that was a fact. Nowadays, people can go to all sorts of different sources for the news and they're much more questioning about what we're saying. So it's no longer good enough for us just to say, this is what happened or here's what here's this is the news we have to explain our almost like explain our working so readers expect to understand how we source stories they want to know um uh how we go about getting stories that we have to sort of lift the bonnet as it were and in a way that newspapers you know aren't used to doing and explain to people what we're doing we need to be much more transparent about how we go about collecting the news so there's two really kind of profound insights in that clip uh, that is the editor-in-chief of the wall street street journal and uh miss tucker and it's uh first off the fact that she referred to them as the legacy media i thought that was very interesting you know michael malice has has uh popularized the term corporate media i think legacy media is also apropos like that certainly works you guys are the legacy media uh, but there's a level of there's a level of self-reflection that's happening that I, I think is is interesting to note. These people, for the longest time, came across as if the only analysis that they ever made was, what is wrong with all of these people? What is wrong with all of you? Why don't you trust us? What? It, it, there's something wrong with you for thinking that there's something wrong with me. Now, it seems as if there's some level, at least a minimum level, that is appreciated where they are actually looking in a mirror and saying, yeah, there's lots of options out there. The reason that they don't trust us anymore is because there's lots of options that counter what we have to say. So if we're going to expect them to still read us or listen to us and take us you know, at face value or take our, our reporting seriously, we're gonna have to explain. No more anonymous sources. What a novel concept. Actually tell us who you're getting this information from when you're making these unfounded allegations about Donald Trump's whatever. I mean, just yesterday they said that he had syphilis on his hand because he had like sores from what looked like uh you know blisters from golfing it's just junk you know just absolute junk and that's like the the lowest level it goes so much deeper to wmds to uh just feeding all of the war propaganda to the american people decade after decade after decade and then then w wondering why do you doubt us how how dare you pleb question our authority we're professionals, for God's sakes. I went to NYU and got a journalist degree. You don't trust me? No, bitch, I don't. You out of your mind? That's basically a propaganda mill. And you've been indoctrinated. You're not, like, they look down on us. This the, that's the beautiful irony of all this. They genuinely think that there are superiors. <laughs> These fucking people, man. They honestly believe that. They honestly feel that way. Because they all fucking rub elbows with the most important people in politics. Just spreading the same lies and fucking diseases amongst each other. And they're just like, oh, we're so superior. I'm on Fox News. I'm a big fucking deal. You know what's funny? 
on my flight uh, back from Iowa, I was, for whatever reason, I was in first class. That very rarely happens, but I was. And so I got Luke to my right. And to my left is Brett Baer, the top, one of the top guys over at Fox News. And he's just like, you could just, like, there's just this, this aura of self-importance that rolls with these people that really rubs me the wrong way. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind ego. I don't even mind. I, I certainly don't mind confidence. I'm a confident person myself, but just like, just being a real fucking person, dude, just be a real dude. So the, the reason I bring this up, you know, he's got 1.5 million followers on, on Twitter. And I, I would guess if you were to actually look though, I've got 120,000 or so. I bet you are, our actual activity. I wouldn't be surprised if I do more impressions than him, honestly. Uh, but, you know, he's got that 1.5 mil because he's been doing it forever. So he's the big dog, right? And then he's got his show. He's got primetime show, Fox News, number one cable news channel. Got to be big time, boy, right? Well, if you actually look at the ratings, not doing so hot, Brett. Not doing so hot. If you actually look at what I do with my show with Luke, if you consider... My X outlet plus Liberty Lockdown plus TG plus the best political show with Luke. It's like, yeah, he's he's bigger than me, no doubt, no doubt. But like, not as, not not that much bigger. <laughs> like like you you want to be crushing me, dude, and and you're just really not. So the reason I bring all this up is, I while he's asleep, he drops something like or like there's turbulence and something in his little cubby falls to the ground and I see it happen, but he's asleep. So I just let the thing sit there, but he wakes up and he starts to try and find the thing. And I see him like looking all over. So I just reach over and I grab it and I hand it to him. Now I'm a, I'm a first class customer, but I'm dressed like this. I'm, this is how I always, I'm always dressed very, you know, I'm cozy. That's cozy life. And I hand it to him and I'm not expect, I'm not expecting it's like it's not a huge service that I did the guy I just picked something off the ground for him I handed it to him cuz I could saw I saw that it was too close to his chair so he couldn't see it so I grab it I hand it to him He doesn't say a fucking word to me He doesn't even make eye contact with me I I hand it to him he goes and he like just looks straight straight ahead does not even acknowledge that I exist I'm not the fucking help, bro. I'm not I'm not the stewardess, which would be rude in its own right to just treat them as if they're some fucking invisible slave. But I'm actually another customer in first class, and you can't even say thanks. No, 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 no. You can't even look at me, dude. You can't even fucking... You can't... <coughs> you can't give me a glance? A, a, a head nod. Just a tip of the cap. Thanks for the help, Brad. You know, like, fuck, what the fuck are we talking about? So I just think it's like, it's, it's just kind of a microcosm. I don't want to hold it. Like maybe he was sleepy and I, I like, maybe that's not who he is. Maybe he's a super nice guy. I don't want to assume because of one event. Cause a lot of people will do that to me. Like they'll be like, I saw Clinton, you know, I, I, uh, you know, try to talk to him and he was like, I can't talk right now. So like that dude's an asshole. Like, I'm not like, there's, there's times where you're just, you're just not in the right headspace. Maybe he's a great guy otherwise. But I do think it's a good example of the microcosm of like why there's this us versus them divide. Why we feel as if they feel as if they're superior. I think it's because it's true for most of them. Is it Brett Barrett feel that way? I don't know. But 
that's the vibe that I got. Just being straight up with you. That's definitely the vibe that I got. And it's, I just think that these people need to really realize the, t- the times they are a changing, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be able to, I'll, probably by next year, I'd imagine, I'll be reaching close to as many people as Brett Bear on an annual basis. I mean, he does five shows a week. Maybe I don't do as many shows, but on a, on a nightly show basis. I bet you, Luke and I, maybe even Liberty Lockdown, you never know, will be competing with some of the biggest shows on cable news. That's, that's, the, that's the time shift. That's the power shift that we're dealing with here. And the pressure that you're feeling is not because Luke or me or Tim or anybody is lying to our audience. Certainly not in my case. I, they could speak for themselves. I, the reason that we're growing in, in power and influence is because we're actually trying to tell the truth with a, a modicum of love and respect for our audience, which you clearly don't have anymore. There's a level of entitlement with that. Like I, you've been on the mountaintop for so long, you've just kind of, you're resting on your laurels. And you know, this happens with corporations too. As a guy who was in business for a long time, this this is exactly what, like, this is the, the spunky upstart versus the old bureaucratic behemoth, like, I don't know, Blockbuster, for instance. And the plucky upstart Netflix comes out of the blue and they go, people are never going to fucking watch movies on their TV through the internet. <laughs> the fuck out of here. Blockbuster is here to stay. I'm sure the Blockbuster CEO in like 2002 was like, dude, <laughs> these fucking idiots are just wasting money trying to trying to ship DVDs through the mail. Oh yeah, that's going to work. This is, I mean, when, when people get lazy, when people get overconfident, when people get sloppy, opportunities present themselves. And I think that we are on the precipice. We not not on the precipice. We are in the midst of the biggest opportunity transition, probably, well, definitely in my lifetime. Definitely, like there there is more and more people that are awake to the depravity of the establishment that are interested in people that are actually pursuing the truth, not not like forced truth, like deep dive truth. What the fuck is actually going on in the world? And once that shift happens. Once there's not one Tucker Carlson, once there's 25 Tucker Carlson's, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, the establishment is in so much trouble. So much trouble. And I love it. Now let's get into the old guard, the people that have not looked in the mirror. Uh, This is one of the uh, puppets that sits in the auditorium in the Muppets. No, excuse me. I'm sorry. That's a former Democrat presidential candidate, John Kerry. It's absolutely critical that we accelerate. I am convinced beyond any doubt that because of the decisions being made in the marketplace now, because, I mean, you know as well as I do, even if, uh, you know, I don't want this, obviously, but if you wound up with a different president who was opposed to climate crisis, I got news for you. No one politician anywhere in the world can undo what is happening now. The marketplace is doing this. And the only issue for all of us is, is, not whether or not we can get or will get to a low carbon, no carbon economy globally, we will. The only question is, will we get there in time to meet the challenge of the scientists in order to avoid the worst consequences of this crisis? That is what is at stake. That's uh, an amazing thing to admit to, in my opinion. 
that I mean, th- th- this is actually really important. And, and for my audience, it's going to be really easy to understand because you understand ESG very intimately, because you understand the DEI framework and Obama's executive order and how it was implemented across all federal departments in August of 2011, and then repealed very briefly in 2020 by Donald Trump, and then immediately reinstated by Joe Biden. The ESG framework being essentially the mechanism by which they have now taken over the corporate oligarchs all over the planet to implement this carbon, uh, zero carbon agenda. Uh, But the fact that he says that you know, even if, like, let's be honest, let's just speak plainly as to what he's saying there. He's saying that if Donald Trump becomes the president again, it's too late. There is nothing one man can do to stop it. Well, on that, I actually will agree. I think that this is a critique that I've had for the broader MAGA movement for a very long time. It actually goes back to the Q stuff, the, this faith that this white hats, these white knights are going to come in and fix everything. And, you know, we're under military control. Uh, it's all fine. And they've already flown the gold back in. And, you know, like, like, no disrespect to you. I'm sure I've got some listeners that feel that way. I don't agree. Okay. I don't actually think, you know, there's, I, I wouldn't say no one's coming to save us, but there is no master plan that is countervailing these forces and in fact i think it does you a tremendous uh, disservice even if there is that plan it does you a tremendous disservice to feel that way because then you won't take the the necessary steps in your personal life to try and contribute to alleviating some of these issues and i think anytime you just give away all of your personal autonomy and your self-action and your ability to actually do something that's not good it's not a good idea don't don't assume that things are just going to work out. Like we need people that are actually hands on deck. Let's fucking go, right? So he's saying and the reason he's saying he's saying that there's nothing that a single politician can do. Whether Trump gets in there or not, too late. This is already happening and he he's very clear through the corporations. They are wrong though that it is a foregone conclusion that we will go to zero carbon. And it's a very simple reason as to why. As they get closer and closer to that target, you will see more and more economic strife. You will see more and more famines in different parts of the globe. And the people will absolutely ultimately rise up. It's an inevitability. If people are starving, they will rise up. That's just how it works. Uh, Especially in nations that are very accustomed to not having, you know, hyperinflation or food shortages and things of that nature. They will not react positively to that news or that reality. Sorry, John Kerry. Sorry, you fucking meat puppet Muppet. That had a nice ring to it. But I, I do like that, that he's willing to say it. Like there is a level of confidence with these people still. You know, I played you some of the more positive clips earlier where these people seem to be actually reflecting on what they've done and why we're reacting to them the way that we are. John Kerry ain't one of those folks. He's not ref- he's not self-reflecting for one motherfucking second as he gets on his G5 or whatever and takes off from, I don't know, Dulles and lands in Davos. He ain't reflecting, bro. <laughs> he has complete clarity as to his superiority to you and I. And he ain't going to reflect on none until he absolutely, absolutely has to. He's like married to a billionaire lady too. So this guy's like the elite of the elite. Doesn't think at all about the average person. 
and they're going to learn. You're going to learn today, John. I think that there, the trend has absolutely shifted in our, in our favor and they are going to hear from us. We are not, we are, you know, the silent majority in my humble opinion seems to be waking up and, and speaking out. If you just look at like how people are responding to the, the DEI stuff when it comes to flying, there's been a lot recently and actually we'll cover it in a second. There's been a lot of uh, flight issues lately, like plane issues, plane caught on fire in Miami yesterday. Just had a blowout of some Alaska Airlines flight. Like just the, the emergency door just blasted out of it. I mean, crazy stuff. But then there's actual reports of the hiring practices that uh, might make you wonder why these things start to be popping up more and more readily, given that we've had an incredible track record of flight safety for decades and decades. And now, doesn't feel so good, does it? There's a reason. So let's get into that. From the New York Post. FAA's diversity push includes focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. The FAA is actively recruiting workers who suffer severe intellectual disabilities, psychiatric problems, and other mental and physical conditions under a diversity and inclusion hiring initiative spelled out on the agency's website. The FAA, folks. <laughs> I mean, what, let's have a schizo running the, the uh, traffic control while we're at it, you know? Quote, targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government, as a matter of policy, has identified for special emphasis in recruiting and hiring. They include hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. Well, you know, shout out to my dwarves. I don't think you guys have anything to worry about. I'm not at all worried about you guys. You know, all good. If you're hearing voices, okay, uh... Yeah, if you're hearing voices, I don't want you fucking doing anything that my life's on the line for. I'm just being real with you, dude. If I was, like, just shoe on the other foot. If I'm fucking hearing voices that say, like, I should just turn this plane in this mountain right now, should I be a pilot? Okay, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's, it doesn't have to be that extreme of hearing voices. What if I have epileptic seizures? <laughs> should I be a traffic control guy? <laughs> <laughs> Should I be coordinating these multi-ton aircraft or hundreds of ton? I don't even know how much they weigh. Aircraft that are, uh, you know, crossing in the night and I have to help with the coordinates to keep them from colliding with one another. I have to tell them which, uh, you know, runway to land on or take off from. And I have a, a epilepsy. Is that, is that, is that prejudicial to say, Hey bro, you can't do this job, dog. <laughs> like you just flatly can't do this job. Uh, what if I'm suicidal? Should I be a pilot? I mean, this is these are these are like just so people understand. I'm not being harsh here. These are policies that have been in place forever. That like there has been really really harsh hiring requirements when it comes to pilots in terms of sleep deprivation, drugs that they might be on, vision, heart health just full, full spectrum health. Like you have to be totally healthy. I mean, you can be an alcoholic, they're all alcoholics, but you can be totally healthy. You have to be totally healthy if you wanted to be a pilot historically. And you have to, uh, had to have a ton of, ton of hours behind the wheel or whatever they call it. Uh, so that if, if they're really gonna shift this, which they are, I mean, they, they just said it, they're shifting it. You're going to see a catastrophic, catastrophic, flight issue in America. Like 
Like I, unfortunately, I think it's inevitable. And I say this to you as someone who is about to hop on yet another flight. I don't like saying this. I don't like thinking it. I certainly don't like feeling this way or believing it. And I absolutely believe it. I think that these hiring practices are going to get people killed. That's how serious this stuff is. This is no longer just virtue signaling nonsense. Oh, we're, you know, we've got to give these people opportunities. Da, da, da. No, no, no. I want to get to my fucking destination and not die en route because you hired someone that hears voices. What are we even talking about? This is so fucking crazy. This is so crazy. Like, this has to be criminal, right? It has to be. <laughs> uh, certainly, like, if they don't, if, if they better have liability. That, that's all I'll say. If, if the federal government bails out these airlines or gives them a liability shield when some plane crashes and 250 innocent people perish because you put a schizo in the cockpit, that's on you. And you better go bankrupt over it. And if they're, if they're pushing these policies because they feel as if they're going to get a liability shield, that's a huge fucking problem. So, man, this is crazy. All right, let's, let's check out uh, uh, one of the CEOs of these airlines just to see that I'm not totally making this stuff up. Here's Scott Kirby, the CEO of United. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviate Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying though, so I, this was just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, but, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. That's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well uh, and giving them those opportunities uh, and creating a stronger band. I can't tell you how much I want to see this, uh, this entire trend just perish. It's so, it's so unhealthy. It's so unhealthy to be viewing people this way. Like it really, really is. I, I, I don't think I need to preface this with saying I don't have any animosity towards people that don't look like me. My whole argumentation is that this is this counter to that. It makes people focus on their immutable characteristics. Why the fuck should it matter that there are, he said there's 11 in their C-suite and four of them aren't white men. So you got seven white dudes. And four not white dudes. Okay. If you had no white dudes, but you had the best functioning corporation in America, I'd say great fucking job. You hired really, really well. But if you're just focusing on the, the makeup, the visual makeup of, of your board, you've totally lost the plot. Totally, totally lost the plot. And as a professional money manager, I can't tell you how reprehensible this is, how, how counter to the fiduciary responsibility you have to your shareholders to make sure that regardless of how your fucking C-suite looks, that these people are good at what they do, that they're qualified. Why would you put a litmus test of 50% of all the people that you're going to you know, put into training or whatever have to be POCs? How about, what if there's not that many people that want to fucking work for you that are POCs? 
has that ever crossed your mind? And if there's not enough, then that means that you're just going to be forcing people into it that have no business being there. They're not even passionate about what you're trying to get them into. If you want to give people opportunities, God bless. But it's not about that. It's about getting my fucking plane to Jacksonville safely. By the way, you can see me in Jacksonville. I will be there tomorrow at the Florida State Convention. And then myself and Tower Gang, assuming I don't die in some DEI fire, will also be in uh, Georgia the following weekend, the 27th. Uh, make sure you come out. That's going to be insane. Toad. Toad is going to be dating, debating for president. <laughs> I will be moderating. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing that's ever happened. Oh, you can't miss it. You got to be there. You got to be there. It's going to be so fucking funny. Uh, <laughs> but I'm serious about this stuff, though. Like, it's really, really dangerous what we're doing. We're just like what, surgeons. You're going to have surgeons. Oh, we got to have can't like there's Indians, for instance, or Indian Americans, whatever. They're they're very, very uh, high propensity to be interested in being doctors because for whatever reason, that's like that's what their culture tells them to do. Or at least the immigrant Indian culture, that's what it tells them to do. It's like, go be a doctor, be an attorney, whatever. Like, okay. Cool. If you're good at it, that's fucking awesome. I want a dude who's qualified. I want a dude who does a great job. I want a dude who keeps me alive when I'm on the cutting room floor. Like this is, I need that. I need that. I don't need him to be a white dude. And I don't need him to be some unqualified other than an Indian thing. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't even fucking cross my mind. Go, how many years you been doing this? You had, you had a whole bunch of lawsuits. You had a bunch of people die. Uh, mid-surgery because if so I don't really give a fuck what you look like I don't want you cutting into me same with fucking pilots same with drivers same with fucking teaching for that matter like these are important roles we want to have the best equipped people in whatever position is available it's not about immutable characteristics we have to stop with this shit and I really think that there's like once there's a, a catastrophe that comes from these hiring practices, there is going to be a just flood, a flood of lawsuits. And there ought to be. There really ought to be. I don't know if this is accurate because there's been different reporting. Um, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it was reported in a legitimate establishment news that there was 4 million uh, hires since the year 2020 about a million white men dropped out of the workforce to the fortune 100 companies and 4 million non-white men people of color or whatever the fuck they were hired and over the past 12 months 300,000 people have been hired and only six percent of them were white straight men keeping in mind that white people in america are still 60 percent of the population now if this is accurate, which it was not reported by, you know, fucking bumfuck news, it was reported by a real news outlet, then we got a real problem on our hands, folks. Like, you're talking about, like, I don't think it's over to, overstating it to say, like, there was uh, policies called black codes, or, you know, Jim Crow even, that, that essentially made it illegal for black people to work in this country. And what's fascinating about this is it's kind of like a Jim Crow, but without, without uh, the power of law behind it entirely. But it's kind of, it's once again, it's kind of, it's the, the reality of the situation is obfuscated because of the federal DEI policy that sits on the books that really is mandating much of this. 
Like if you want to have federal contracts, well, you got to get on board with this, right? So it kind of is a government policy, but without the overt nature of it that allows for us to, to rise up and say, this is totally immoral. Like, what are we doing here? And it's, it will ultimately sow the seeds of, of real racism in this country. I mean, the, the racism is already there because you're, you're obviously prejudicial against straight white dudes. Like that's crystal clear. You are prejudicial against straight white dudes predicated off of straight white dudes who aren't alive anymore, their worldview and their actions before I existed. And, I, and I'm now held to account, as all straight white men are, to be held to account for things they had nothing to do with. F seems fair to me. Very fucking cool. You know, because the, the, the lineage of, uh, of slavery in America, even though my great-grandfather came over, I think, during World War I from Germany to flee the Nazis or flee, you know, Germany, I guess the Nazis weren't really a thing yet. Uh, but, you know, people that look like me, though, they owned slaves before my great grandfather even came over here. So can't give that dude a job. Thank God I don't need to get a job right now. Jesus Christ, it would be a nightmare. Uh, but I really feel for people. I feel for people because this is like, if you're one of those people that has a door slammed in your face, despite being very, very qualified for a job because you don't check a diversity box, well, I'm not saying it's necessarily the rational conclusion to come to, but you that 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 sows a level of anger that creates real racism. That where they go like I'm being like this happened this happened with the black folks back in the 1960s, big time. Like that's why the whole Black Panther movement uh, took over and and or became such a big thing and so many people were talking about, you know, leaving to Africa and all sorts of stuff like that. It was like they were they were righteously angry. And much of that was then directed towards white people. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on YouTube, what they would call them, but you know, you know what they called them. They were not happy. And I think that they were righteously unhappy. Like they were rightfully unhappy, but that's going to happen now. It's going to happen again, but it's going to happen the other direction. And I don't want either direction. Like, why, why is this so controversial? Why can't we all just say we want the best people for the job, regardless of what they look like? Why are we going to go back towards hiring based off of how people look? Why would we do that to ourselves? We've made so much progress in race relations and everything else. And now we want to, you know, make, make white people have resentment for having opportunities ripped away from them unnecessarily, despite being the most qualified for some of these roles to, to make black people who never experienced any sort of like real, real, you know, 1950s racism, make them all feel as if they're victims. And that they have a level of righteous anger that that is should have been felt during you know Jim Crow or the slavery era. Like, do you want people to have that that level of ven venom and vindictiveness towards their fellow man? My my answer is clearly no. I don't. I do not want. And I and I refuse personally to imbibe of that toxic elixir. I don't want to feel that way about my fellow American or people all over the world. It's terrible. It's terribly toxic. So I just hope that more and more people, if you're going through, uh, you know, some sort of DEI training at work, more and more people have to start speaking out against this. I'm not saying to each individual one of you that you have to, I know your circumstances will dictate what kind of risks you're allowed to take, but we need to speak out against racism, especially when it comes to legitimate modern day systemic racism, which is what DEI is.
real racism, not ancient historical racism that I had no culpability in. I'm talking modern day systemic racism. <laughs> That's what this is. Crystal clear. And the only way you can feel otherwise is if you totally uh, butcher the definition of racism and say, no, it's only power. You have to have power and no, have to oppress. And that's the only way. So white people can't be, you know, it's fucking bullshit. Everybody knows what, that this is what racism is. If you fucking abuse someone because of their mutable characteristics, you're a racist piece of shit. Stop being racist. Can you believe a dude from Tower Gang saying that? It's fucking crazy, but it's true. Stop being racist. This is the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Todd Bowles, talking about what I was just talking about. Listen to this question from this fucking scumbag reporter, too. Uh, you, you and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. So it's kind of quiet, but he says, you and Todd Bowles, or you and uh, Tomlin are like two of the only black coaches in the league. And what do you feel about this other black dude joining that fold? This is, listen to Todd Bowles' answer. This is fucking exquisite. You don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well. And I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that so, so another reporter chimes in and says, you also understand that representation matters too, right? young aspiring coaches or even football players they see you guys you know they see someone that looks like them they grew up like them that has to mean something they see someone that looks like them grew up like them that has to mean something well when you say you see you guys and look like them and grew up like them means that we're eyeballs to begin with and i think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it everybody else will as well uh, yeah boy let's go Tobbles, new new big fan you have in Clint Russell. This is that's actually how we fucking fix things, folks. I know it's so like cliche, but it's to not focus, not uh, certainly not obsess about our fucking melanin count. I know I sound I sound like some fucking hippie gay dude to say this, but I just it's honestly how I feel. It's how I felt for fucking decades. I don't even know why this is like this has to be said again, but it, it does because it's so pervasive. So many people are so obsessed with race. And they just, for the life of, for the life of them, they cannot see that they are worsening race relations in this country. I do not, I do not try and view my fellow men in that way. Like just to, just to point out kind of the obvious nonsense of this thesis, look at the racial makeup of the teams that he's coaching over. Certainly half of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are African-American. Black people are only 10 or 15% of the population, right? So vastly disproportionately represented on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers football field, black people over white people. Oh my God. I mean, Asians and Indians probably account for 10 or 15% of the population too, maybe even more. There's not nearly that many percentage on the football field. White people account for 60% of the American, <clears throat> you know, demographic makeup. Definitely not 60% of the fucking bucks are white dudes. <laughs> like, it's definitely not. And you know, if they were, they wouldn't be doing so hot. They certainly wouldn't be in the playoffs right now. So there is nothing wrong with merit. 
I want to see the best players. I don't want to see people that look like me. Do you know how fucking dumb that is? These are human beings that have incredible athletic capacity. That in its own right is inspirational, regardless of whether the fuck they look like me. Do you think that Bill Belichick has failed to inspire any of his black players because he doesn't look like them? How fucking stupid is that? What about uh, Phil Jackson? Six foot eight white dude. No way that, that Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and Derek Fisher and all these black dudes, how could they possibly be inspired by a, a white man like Phil Jackson? Oh, I shudder the thought. Oh, but they won five rings. Come on. Like, that's not, that is not how you fucking fix the racial divide in this country by saying, we have, no, they, you know, obviously, I mean, just think about how racist it is that they're asking Todd Bowles, what's your relationship like with the other black coaches in the league? Obviously, you have to have a better relationship with them, right? And Todd Bowles is like, no, I have great relationships with lots of head coaches all across the league. You racist scumbags, you. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's that's the level that this is going to have to go to is that you're going to have to have coaches like Todd Bowles look these reporters in their eyes and go, you guys are really being racist right now. What the fuck is happening? And only then, only then when these people, like the only thing that they respond to, the only tool that they use against the people that aren't woke is to call us all racist, right? But really, they're the racists. And I know that because they've all called us that needlessly, we're very hesitant to use that same weapon against them, that verbal weapon. But it's like, you have to. That's actually what this is. I can't call it anything else. It's fucking racist. You're being so, so racist right now. Stop it. So I guess that's what, I, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. I don't know. Or just ignore these people. But I think shame is ultimately like, that's the peaceful path forward. So <laughs> what, what, a, what a fucking nutty world we live in. I just wanted to note one thing uh, before I get out of here, and that is the Cloward Piven strategy. Uh, it's something I've known about for a long time, but I've never explained it to people. So if you've never heard of it, just a quick primer on what it is, uh, just reading straight from Wikipedia, the Cloward Piven strategy is a political strategy outlined in 1966 by American sociologist and political activists Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven. It is a strategy of forcing political change leading to societal collapse through orchestrated crises. The Cloward-Piven strategy seeks to hasten the fall of capitalism by overloading the government bureaucracy with a flood of impossible demands, amassing massive unpayable national debt, and other methods such as unfettered immigration, thus pushing society into crisis and economic collapse by overwhelming the system, and ultimately, uh, this is my own ad lib here, and ultimately bringing about a you know totalitarian state. It usually is implemented by Marxists. And this is, uh, once again, me imploring the open borders libertarians to really reflect on whether or not this immigration flood is organic or if it's part of a bigger plan. And I know that anytime I bring this up, I get yelled at. If you haven't learned anything about me yet, you should realize, yeah, you know, I don't care. I don't care that it's going to upset some people. I think that's what's happening. And before you get upset, I would like for you to research it. Uh, so I'm giving you some homework. I've never done this before. I want you to look into the Cloward Piven strategy. I want you to look into how this has all come about. I want you to consider uh, what, to what extent this is organic and to what extent this is being orchestrated. And if 
don't just look at America and don't just look at our border issues. I want you to look at Europe as well. I want you to consider deeply, given that the World Economic Forum is led largely by the West, European and, uh, and America, and American leadership, and they talk about this openly, what that, why? And, and why would they want that? Do you think, like, honestly, just ask yourself this one, one very simple question. Do you think that they are the, the most well-intentioned people? Do you think that they that they support open border policies because they care about immigrants or the domestic populations of the nations that they rule over? Like, honestly, do you think they care about the immigrants from, I don't know, Liberia or whatever? Like, do you think they care? I think if you're being honest with yourself, you could probably conclude, yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't at all. Um, so why? Why is it happening? Why is it such a crisis? Why is it so, so aggressive right now? Why has it why, why has it become increasingly aggressive? Then I want you to do some more homework. I want you to look into Agenda 2030 and how they have to have these major cataclysmic shifts that all happen by the year 2030 and how they have to speed up things. John Kerry even said it. We have to expedite this process. We have to move faster. And then I want you to think deeply about Donald Trump's presidency and how that kind of threw off their timeline and how things seem to have been expedited and sped up very aggressively under the Joe Biden administration. Just think about these things. You don't have to, you don't have to agree with my conclusion. Just consider them deeply and come to your own. Obviously, you know what I'm hinting at. So I'm not even gonna give you my conclusion other than to say it ain't, it ain't organic folks. That's, that's my read. If you like to support my work, libertylockdown.locals.com. If you want to pick up some Nephilim gear or uh, Tower Gang gear or Liberty Lockdown gear, I got some new merch over on toplobster.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. <sighs> Life is so cool, man. I hope you guys are really, I just, I just a little heart to heart moment. I hope you guys are doing great. I, I hope that, uh, that my episode a couple days ago fired you up. I hope you feel inspired. I know I got a ton of DMS by people saying like, dude, that rant was so cool. You got like, I'm fucking pumped. I, a lot of, you know, what, what really makes me feel good is when people reach out and they say, dude, I really needed that today. You know, like my, my uncle just died or my mom's sick or, uh, you know, I was just really feeling dispirited. Like I, I love that. I love it when I feel like, cause I'm, you know, I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm just doing it because it's how I feel. And, but to, to have that impact on some people, um, and to, to feel as if I'm, I'm helping you in any, any way that I can, uh, feels amazing. So thank you again. See you soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?